Pastor Matt, the Rabbi Davis. It's good to have him here with us as well. You get the little tone, the sort of a somber tone to the music that you just heard. It's all about the great celebration. We always want to sing, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. We, we believe that, but we also know that there are certain aspects about the birth of Christ that are rather uh, a somber note to them. We want to dive into a very difficult passage this morning, Revelation chapter 12, and it's so difficult, it's so heavy, it takes two of us to actually do the actual lifting of this passage. So, Matt, it's good to have you up here as well. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Dave. Uh, I heard that you were featured this morning in the register. Anybody see that? Yeah. Does anybody so, get the paper anymore? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping maybe you'd sign my iPad a little bit later today. Yeah, I'd be That'd happy be to take a permanent marker and write all over the face of your iPad. <laughs> Uh, well, today is uh, a much different approach in, in scriptures uh, and how we look at the narrative of Christmas being played out. And so uh, I thought we'd do a little bit of uh, just an exercise to just prep us for that. And so uh, maybe you've seen this on TV, but there's like a, a little game type of thing. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. And so uh-huh. what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some pictures up. Um, as we're talking about Jesus over Satan, I'm going to put some pictures up, Dave, and I want to see if you and maybe you can, you have some lifelines out here too, if you need uh, some absolutely. help. Absolutely, I need lifelines. We're going to start real easy, um, and we'll just see. Uh, so you can, you can check this out. All right. Uh, I, I have four animals up here up on the screen. Um, three of them are the same. One of these does not belong. And, and for you especially, one of them really <laughs> doesn't belong. Yes, yes. Uh, I would say it is the cat that doesn't belong. Am I, I'm I correct in total on agreement. That? Good job. Yeah. Congratulations. He got that one right. It, it doesn't just not belong there. It just doesn't belong. Yeah. Right. Why, so. did, why did God do that, right? Like, I just, yeah, I have no idea. Okay. I, well, I didn't need to say that. So no, I'm why just going to stand right that? here for right. a second here. <laughs> Take aim. All, All right, right. Here we go. Okay. Let's go on to another Sorry. one because this is awkward and uncomfortable. Um, yeah. <laughs> this one, we're getting, stepping up just a little bit. Uh, we have uh, four pictures, modes of transportation, but one of these does not belong. It's not like the hmm. others. Hmm. Hmm. Take a moment. Boy, I would have to think that uh, the tank does not fly. It's right. All the uh, other three, they fly, right? Yes. Okay, good job. You're two for two right now. This is where we might lose you, though. I know. Hold your applause to the end, please. Uh, you know, one thing I love about this season, right after Thanksgiving, Coast 103.5 starts playing all the Hanukkah music. So, Really? <laughs> no, actually, no, no. There's no radio station that plays any Hanukkah music whatsoever. I'm sorry. Uh, but we have, we have some uh, Hanukkah pictures, but one of them is not. Can you identify? You've got to go back to your seminary days here, yes. perhaps. Ooh, I would have to guess the, uh, the horn. Yes, the shofar indeed is correct. That's for yes. the Feast of Trumpets, yes. not the Feast of Dedication. Yes. I'm not Jewish, but some of my best friends are. So. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Good. Uh, now we're going to bring this full circle. Here we go. We have, we have some pictures. We have a, a Christmas tree. We have a red dragon, a manger, and we have some shepherds and an angel. All right. Well, I need a little help. What do you think? The red dragon, right? Yeah, that's actually not, not oh, correct. It's, no. It's actually the Christmas, Christmas tree. tree. What's more Christmas than a Christmas well, tree? Well, uh, let's talk about it here. <laughs> okay. All right, give Dave a round of applause. All right. Thank you, Dave. Okay, thank you. I'll thank take you. over from here. Uh, indeed, that is uh, correct, is that the Christmas tree, now I know most of you have that in your homes and it is part of our Christmas tradition, but it's not there scripturally. The red dragon, of all things, is one of those things. So uh, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12 and, and we're going to dig into uh, this 
kind of, it, it's, it's a crazy passage when you look at it. You're wondering, John, as he is seeing a vision God is giving him, it almost doesn't feel like it's coherent. What is he doing? What is he up to? But it's giving us a timeline of salvation history. Um, in, in a minute, I'm going to show a video that uh, has a, a battle scene in it. And so I just want to give you some heads up. Uh, I don't see kids in here, but if there are kids, uh, it, it's talking about a war and uh, that we are entered into this war. There is a war going on. And so when we see that, I want you to understand that this scene is painting that picture of the war. But in Revelation chapter 12, let's read together. Follow with me. Uh, starting, We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. So that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. There's a song by a guy named Dustin Kensrew. And he has written a song that encapsulates some of this passage. And the song is called, This is War. Let's look at this.
Quite a different picture than the narrative that many of us grew up with. This picture of a man and a woman, Joseph and Mary, going from place to place and kind of settling down amongst the animals and giving birth. And we read, all is calm and all is bright. But that's not necessarily the picture that we are getting from this passage here in Revelation 12. This is war. And We have to understand that there is this unseen war that is taking place. And it's against this child. It's against Jesus. And now the war has also been brought to you and me. Many of you have been a part of this war, knowingly or unknowingly. And many of you have had your battles. We want to just give you some assurance and some hope that in the end we know who has won. As we look at this, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ will overcome Satan's attacks on the earth. A lot of us, we as Christians, when we come into this season, we are are trying to redeem Christmas from our culture, from our society. And we, we, we talk about this idea that Christmas is more than just presents and trees and Santa Claus. And we want to redeem it. We want to pull it back in. We want to, we want to say that Christmas is about Jesus and the angels singing. And, and that's good. But I don't think that we have gone far enough. The picture that is painted for us in this passage this morning is that there is a battle. There is a war. It's, it's almost like the arrival of the troops on the beaches of Normandy. I, I have a friend who's actually, he, he decided to uproot his family. His name's Dalton Thomas. And he's originally from Florida. And just a couple of months after his wife had given birth, uh, he decided to uproot his family and they moved to Kurdistan in Iraq. And they're trying to be on the front lines of what is happening there. And he is amongst the tanks and his ministry over there is, is basically fielding ambulances to bring back as there, as there is a conquest going on in Mosul. And so there's war. And so we have, yes, this arrival of the king and we can celebrate, but it's, we haven't gone far enough because this battle is going on. And this is not a surprise that God has always planned for this to take place. That he has always planned for a promised Messiah to come through Israel. Let's define some of the characters here as we look in the passage. And as we look, there are some of these characters. We have a woman, and the woman is pregnant. She is about to give birth. This woman is a picture of Israel. If you go back to Genesis, and I love when we can take a message and we can go from the beginning to the end. But in Genesis chapter 37, 
Joseph has this dream, and we tie in some of these characters. In, jo- in, in Genesis 37, 9, it says, Now still he had another dream, and he related it to his brothers, and he said, Lo, I still have another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he tells his father, and eventually he tells his brothers, and it doesn't go over very well. But there's a connection that these stars are the tribes, the, the, the people, the nations, the, the tribes that are gathered together for Israel. And we have this woman who is to give birth, give birth to a son. Now you can actually look at many different cultures and this narrative of, of a pregnant woman who is about to give birth to a savior must also be strong enough in Egyptian culture, in Egyptian narrative, that it needs to just be able to live for four days so that it can slay the serpent, it can slay the dragon and save all of humanity. This is the picture that is, is talked about here in this passage. That the Messiah would come and the mother is Israel. That he would be born. The promised Messiah would come from Israel. A faithful Israel. Messiah will come. And so this has always been planned. And, and not only that, but Satan, since the beginning of God's plan, Satan has also planned to destroy Jesus. Especially when he was born. And if you look in verses 3 and 4, this other sign, these signs are in in verses 1 and in verses 3 are the first of seven signs that go forward between chapters 12 and 19. And these signs are appearing. And in heaven, there's this great dragon. It has seven heads and ten horns. You can go look in Daniel 7. It's the fourth beast that Daniel's talking about. But it's saying that there's this fierce beast that is coming. And you have this this sense that as Mary is delivering that there is battle and the dragon, what the dragon wants to do is devour the child. This, this history has gone on where Satan, who later on is mentioned in verse 9 in chapter 12, he is identified. Satan, the devil, is identified as this red dragon. That he has always wanted to take out the savior of the world. This, this story doesn't start here in Revelation. It actually starts way back in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, in verse 15, God is rebuking Satan. And he says, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. He will crush you on the head. And you shall bruise him on the heel. One is a fatal blow and one is a temporary injury. This is what they would call proto-evangelium. It's the first gospel. From this point in history, God enacted his plan that we needed a rescuer, that we needed a savior. And ever since that plan was put in place, the enemy has had other plans. You look at the history of Satan. It's not just in this passage, in this, in this series that we're going through. Yes, Jesus is over all, but I want you to understand that there is this antagonist that is going on throughout history. And he is trying to come after and thwart the plans of God. It was Satan who moved Cain to kill Abel. It was Satan that moved Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew baby boys. 
in Egypt. It was Satan that inspired Saul to go after David if he could somehow ruin the line from that point. It was Satan who moved Athaliah to destroy all the royal heirs in the house of Judah. We'll be getting into that on uh, the other side of the year. Uh, it was Satan that, that inspired Haman to go after and to, to set up this plan for genocide of all of the Jews. Over and over again, you see Satan is trying to work his attack so that he would come after and destroy the plans of God. So that there would not be a savior that would come from the Jewish people. And even into the life of Jesus, at his birth, the dragon is at work getting rid of all of the Jewish babies in Bethlehem. They say, given the size of Bethlehem at the time, that maybe there were 20 to 30 babies in Bethlehem that were destroyed, that were killed. And, and God, through an angel, speaks to Joseph, and they live as refugees in Egypt for a period of time. But you can imagine the devastation that that caused to that town of Bethlehem after. Satan is always going, even in the wilderness. He's trying to cause Jesus to sin, so that he would not be holy, he could not be our savior. And even at the cross, even at the cross, we have this picture of Satan trying to get rid of the king. David Platt, he's a pastor down in the south, and he says this, The birth of Christ on that day in Bethlehem inaugurated the death of this ancient serpent. Just as it had been promised back in Genesis 3, the birth of Christ declared the death of the ancient serpent, serpent the death of Christ defamed the adversary. As we move through this and as we talk about this, I want us to understand that this has been the plan from Satan and Satan is still making war. You look at what's happening even to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel today, that Satan is at war. And so we want to make sure that as we look at this, that, that, that Christ is the one who overcomes. He al always overcomes Satan's attacks. Um, when he is born, we see in verse 5 that he was caught up to God. This is his ascension, resurrection, and the woman fled into the wilderness. This is a place of security and nourishment that God is taking care of his people. And we vacillate all the way over from, from the beginning of time going into what is going to be happening in the future. And so there is this picture. And I, I just want to just highlight, and we don't have nearly enough time today. But if you look at even verses 13 to 17. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And all the way down to verse 17. See, Satan knows that he is going to lose the battle. And he also knows that his time is short. And it says that the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went off to make war with the rest of her children. Who keep the commandments of God and they hold to the testimony of the word. As we look at this, as we experience and we go through this, we need to understand Christ will overcome. That this is a battle that we are in. And what Dave is going to share with us going forward now is what is our role? What do we do in this battle? Do we jump in a bunker and hide and wait it out? Or are we jumping in the tanks? Are we going out into battle? So Dave is going to take us the rest of the way here. All right. Thank you, Matt. We see the war that is underway that Satan is attacking everything that Jesus is trying to do. Now, I want to take us into the heavens. C.S. Lewis, who is uh, one of the great thinkers and apologists to defend what we believe, used to be an atheist until he really studied the 
proclaim the claims of Christ, I should say. And he wrote this in that wonderful book that I encourage you to read called Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Now, obviously, there is balance in terms of what we look at in terms of the satanic world that is out there. But as you can see on the outline, that what we have is this sense of trusting in the power of Christ. And here's some of the war that is taking place. It's interesting. In Revelation chapter 12 and uh, verse 7, it says, There was a war in heaven. It's hard to imagine a war in heaven. It's hard to imagine the devil having any influence whatsoever in the heavenly places. Yet here it is in Scripture. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. So Satan and Michael were created together. Satan and Michael have known each other since the history of time. God created Satan, who was a beautiful, perfect angel, who then became satanic and became evil at the same time that he created Michael, the archangel. They were both very powerful angels in the past when God created the heavens and the earth. And even before that, he created the angels. And so Satan, who used to be this brilliant and beautiful angel, full of pride, wanted to take over God's job and fell. Michael, the archangel, equally as powerful as Satan is, is still a good angel in heaven. And there will be a time in the future when Michael and Satan, these, if you will, two brothers from the same Creator, God the Father, will battle each other and those that follow each of them. For Satan, it's the evil angels we now call demons. And for Michael, it's the good angels that we still trust in. And sometimes we have visit us as well, as Scripture teaches. So there will be this war in heaven. Now, when is this war taking place? Is it taking place now? Is it a future event? Is it during the last days? It's not very clear in Scripture as to the specific time that is taking place, but we know for sure it's going to occur in the last days. I believe that there is a war that is taking place in the heavenly places, if you will, based upon what Scripture teaches us in the book of, Reve- of Ephesians as well as in the book of Revelation. So there's this battle that is taking place. We need to acknowledge that it is there but not be obsessed with it. And the reality is that we're going to see a point in time when God and His angels are going to have the victory because there is not room in heaven for all of them. It says in verse 8, And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. So it shows the power of Christ. Notice in Ephesians chapter 6, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So this is where this battle is occurring. It's waging all around us. I'll show you where it's going to land with you and for me in just a moment. This battle is in the hands of God. And one of the things we see in 1 John 5, 19 is this. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This world is under satanic control. That's why a lot of things that we believe in are being assaulted today. They're being undermined. They're being changed. 
and it's sort of leaving us behind looking like we are out of touch with reality because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Yesterday, uh, I got up early because I had a meeting to get to around 9. So I rode my bicycle, my road bike, as I like to do on Saturday mornings, out Santiago Canyon Road. There's lots of wind on Santiago Canyon Road. You know the winds that filled up my pool with, with the leaves? And, and I'm going to say it again. I've said it before. If you want a free pool, come and you can have mine. And so all that wind that was raging, I was riding into the wind as you go out east. And it's, it's really stiff. And you've got the fire watch people that are out there. I was thinking to myself, as I'm riding into the wind, this is somewhat like the world that we live in, that we have an allegiance to the person of Christ. Because as we ride into the wind, we know that there's a resistance. I can't see it, but I feel it. It makes life harder. It pushes back at those things I want to do. And yet, this is the world in which we live. God says this whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's like riding into the wind. But the beautiful thing about riding into the wind is that I knew that it's going to come a point where I'm going to turn around and I'm going to ride with the wind. And it's going to feel great. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm in heaven and it feels like everything I believed, every commitment that I kept, every worship experience I ever wanted to pursue is going to be like riding with the wind as it all comes so naturally and beautifully. There will be a day when we will have that kind of victory. But right now, riding into the wind. So we need to trust in the power of Christ, which is greater than Satan. That's what it says in 12.8. And they, Satan, were not strong enough. Satan and his demons were not strong enough. But there was no longer a place for them in heaven. I believe that there's going to come a day in the last days, in the tribulational period, in the days that are marked out here, you see them marked, when Satan will finally and once for all be kicked out of heaven. We know that in the days of Job, he had entrance into heaven. We know that those days are currently underway today where there is satanic influence, where he is coming before God in some way that I can't fully understand or describe, that he's having a way to cause us to want to fail. But we know that we have this power that is over Satan. As it says in 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we got a power, and we trust in the power of Christ. It's not what we sort of manipulate. It's not sort of what we concoct. It's not better policies and better procedures. It's simply the person of Christ, and He lives within us. He gives us the capacity to overcome these things. So we are without excuse because God wants to change us, and He gave us the change agent who is Jesus Christ Himself. So we need to be aware that Satan is relentlessly attacking his followers, though he will be defeated. In verse 9, we read these words, And the great dragon was thrown down, so he will be defeated. The serpent of old, who is called devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. We see this imagery. Now, we could spend a lot of time on these, these names that are on the screen here. Satan is the great dragon. This word dragon comes from a root word which means to have keen insight, keen sight. So there's this image of the great dragon, the meaning, the implication is he sees all that is taking place. Secondly, they see the name of the word devil, which means accuser. 
Satan is constantly before God, accusing us day and night, as you see in the text that is here. He's also referred to as Satan, and that word literally means the adversary. He is our adversary. And then finally, it says he is the serpent who still deceives us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, talks about this, this deception that took place in the Garden of Eden with Eve where he portrayed himself as someone coming along to offer something good. She bought into it and then discovered that she had been deceived because sin always looks better than it really is. Now I want to inject something that is very personal because we see the deception and the evil that Satan loves to bring to us. He loves to create this false image that somehow I can get away with spiritual failure and no one will ever find out. Now, I want to address something that is taking place in our church just this last week. And to me, it's not to malign anybody, but it's to point out the reality that what we preach up here and what we're talking about right now is not some theoretical thing that's happening somewhere else like in Syria with ISIS. It's something that's on our doorstep that is constantly wanting to ruin who we are, what we believe, and how we want to carry on our ministry. And that reality keeps on coming back to our doorstep, and it seems though it's going to take something much greater than you or me to overcome it completely, and that's Christ. But I was saddened, and I want to read this that I'm sad to announce the resignation of Troy Wathan, who is the head of our school, our Calvary Christian School. As our head of school, he was admitted, he has admitted his failure, that he himself admits disqualifies him from the role of pastoral leadership in our church. We accept his resignation and ask for your prayers for Troy, his family, and his, our Christian school. One of the things that Troy told me is that his life was a lie and he was deceiving. And when I see these words that Scripture gives to us, that the serpent still deceives us. And as the serpent deceived Eve, he's trying to deceive you, he's trying to deceive me. He wants that deceptiveness to carry over to behavior. That I buy into this and I like to quote this great theologian who once said that you never find in sin what you enter sin to find. Have you ever heard that quote before? Not a great quote. I say it here all the time. <laughs> but you never find in sin what you enter sin to find. We think that we have some sort of special license and I could get away with it. I can indulge in it. I can sort of dance around it and it'll never touch me. And yet we see our brothers and sisters of the faith constantly being kept, kept captive by it. And it's so destructive. It's so painful. So I invite us to recognize that there is a war out there. I invite us to prayerfully encourage those who are being tempted by sin, those who have fallen into sin, and those that we want to restore from sin. That's what we're here to do. So we need to know that Satan is the great deceiver who is out there. And then we turn to the authority of Christ and let him begin to rule over us. 
I love this <coughs> very promising passage. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, and it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven. And this is a, a worship in heaven. This is an exaltation of the victory of Christ over Satan, that Jesus is over Satan. And here is this worship experience of heaven. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, that is the devil, Satan, he is the accuser of you and me. He has been thrown down. He will be thrown down. He will be defeated. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Can you imagine God constantly listening to Satan say terrible things about you and about me? But that is what God is tolerating now to some measure or some degree because God knows that I have the upper hand, he says to himself. So we have this worship experience of heaven and they came and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. And the reason that we can overcome Satan are twofold. The first reason is found in verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. The first is this. In order for me to overcome satanic attack and no longer believe the lie, no longer fall into the deception, no longer be manipulated by his power, we need to believe in the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus was born so that he could someday die on the cross, so that his death on the cross could be a payment for our sins, so that precious blood could be the redemptive work of changing me, so that I have new power, that Christ comes into me, and he gives me capacity to overcome the temptations, the deceptions, to see them for what they are, to soften the hardened heart, to open the blinded eyes, to, see me, to let me see those things that are real, that wants to destroy marriages that wants to destroy lives, that wants to destroy churches, that wants to undermine our faith, that wants to discourage commitment, that wants us to surrender the cultures of today, that wants us just to compromise and just give in, to be able to no longer ride into the wind but just call it quits. That's what Satan wants. But the blood of the Lamb changes our mindset. I love Hebrews 2 puts it this way, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of them. And that's why Christmas is so great. He became flesh and blood like you and me. He felt, smelled, touched everything that you and I will. So he became flesh and blood that through death he might, here it is, render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil. Because Christ was born on Christmas Day, he therefore could die a death on the cross that we deserve to die on so that he could give to us life, change us, give us victory over Jesus, I mean over Satan, I should say, that in Jesus he renders powerless Satan. So you and I have no excuse, but we turn to the blood of Lamb. So first of all, we have victory because we trust not in our strength, but in Christ. That Christ and His blood changes us, gives us power. But secondly, we also overcome because we have a commitment. It's partly and mostly, I should say, Christ 
but I respond to it. And as he says, these people, because of the word of their testimony, they did not love their life even when faced with death. They committed to this cause. It was their action steps that followed through. It wasn't some theoretical belief system. It was something that they bought into. In fact, they had a testimony to this in their own personal lives. They said, I'm willing to die for this cause. I am so surrendered to who Christ is. And that's what it takes. Now, I put on the back of the outline some things as we're going to go to communion here in a moment. And I want you to have a realistic image of those things that we should be doing even as we trust in Christ. We have an obligation and responsibility to be alert to those things that He has taught us. That's why I, says, I put on the, on the Scripture on the outline for you this beautiful passage of 1 Peter chapter 5. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So it is possible. There are those who are doing it, he says. Look at those people. So I need to be on the alert. And I went through Scripture and I found some passages where I need to be on the alert. These are areas that are known satanic fronts, demonic activities that are designed to cause you and to me to fail and sometimes to be disqualified. And here are those things. In Acts 5, chapter 5, verse 3, there are the elements of an Ananias and Sapphira who came, they worshipped, they gave their money, but it was all a lie. They were phonies. One thing Satan loves are Christians who come to church who are phonies, who are on the exterior look like they're walking the walk, but on the inside, it's nothing but a lie. First Corinthians chapter 5, I need to remove sinful behavior and sinful influences in my life. Be alert to those influences because the little leaven leavens the whole lump, as Paul says. It corrupts me. What are those things that are corrupting my faith? Avoid and resist temptations and sexual immorality. One of the things that I've come to realize that is a significant problem, I think even in the church, is the problem of pornography. I challenge any of you, men or women, who are indulging in pornography, that I've seen the corrosive effect where it literally destroys marriages. It destroys lives. It corrupts and is corrosive to anything that we believe in, in the person of Christ. And I've come to realize that I can't be naive, that there aren't probably a few of us here in this room where that is a private indulgence that somehow I've rationalized as I'm not hurting anyone. And it's simply my private way of exercising my sexual needs. And I'm telling you, that is satanic. That would destroy, if you're married, your marriage. That would destroy, if you're a parent, your relationship with your children. And that would destroy your heart before God. That is corrosive. And every church I've been in, Corona, Lodi, and right here at Calvary, I've seen its insidious 
destructive effect on people's lives. I encourage you, go to the blood of the Lamb and let Jesus clean up your life. Move away from that corruption, corrosive effect. Be willing to forgive others in First, Second Corinthians chapter 2. Be alert to false messages and religious leaders that are frauds. And there's a lot of them out there. And 2 Corinthians 12, humbly trust in Christ. I want to invite you to, even as the elements are being passed, sort of review that in your own mind and say, Lord, I need to be alert. Are there anything, is there anything in this list that I should be alert to that, God, you should speak to my life, that I bring it to the blood of the Lamb and let Jesus forgive me, cleanse me, renew me, make me whole, change me, and I come out of here with a victory march of Revelation 12.10, that the salvation and the power of Christ has given to me victory. So I'm going to pray for us. As the elements are about to be passed, I ask as the elements come to you that you would prepare your heart and say, I want to be sure I'm trusting in the blood of the Lamb, trusting in Jesus, and that I want to have the word of my testimony be clear as I have a commitment to Jesus Christ and what he's called me to do. So let me pray for us. Father God, As these elements come before us, I thank you for the bread, how meaningful that bread is, especially at Christmas, because it once again reminds us as a symbol of the body of Jesus, that he became flesh for us. And we remember him through this bread, that body that felt everything we feel. And so, Father, we bring that bread and then the cup to you with thankfulness that you have given us the means and the way of victory to overcome satanic, demonic undermining of our faith, our mind, our emotions, our body, that we would be steadfast and immovable, abounding in your work, because the blood of the Lamb gives us that victory. We remember Christ now through these elements. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
again with thanks to Jesus Christ. He is the one. We go through Christ to get to the Father in heaven, and it's through Christ that he gives us the victory. I pray that each of us who takes this bread and remembers him well experiences that victory power in our lives, in our marriage, in our parenting, in whatever role we may have in our lives, at work, at home, that the victory of Christ is evident even as we eat this bread. And as he said to us, eat this in remembrance of me. Christ then had the disciples gathered together and he then passed a cup and that cup went to men around that table with Christ and he said this is a brand new covenant that I'm establishing it's a covenant that comes out of faith in the person of Christ and his blood upon that cross his sacrifice he became the lamb no longer a literal lamb but he was the lamb of God So that blood of that lamb becomes the life-changing spiritual transformation that everybody who's ever believed in him become his follower would experience and know. So we come before him to remember how special that blood of the lamb is. This cup symbolizes that blood. And as you prepare your heart for the coming of that cup to you, would you please make sure your heart is right there with Christ surrendered, trusting, believing, confessing, wherever you are at, so that we take that cup together in unity, the blood of the Lamb, having done its perfect work in all of us. Father, thank you for this cup. Thank you for the symbolic value that it presents to us. Thank you for constantly reminding us that every day that blood of the Lamb is a real power to continue to change and enable us to live for you. And now on this occasion, we remember you. We remember that. We remember Jesus. And we thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen.